The first thing my dad does when he gets up is go make the coffee. Okay, who wants coffee? I want some coffee. Okay, first I smash the beans. Then I mix them up. And then I pour some cream. And then I heat it up. And then I drink it. Here you go. This is delicious coffee. Thank you. Next he fixes the car. Wrench. Here you go. Uh, nail. Um, light bulb. All done. Then he probably has to fix the sink, too. Hand me a hammer. Bang, bang, bang. Hand me a pipe. Hand me a popsicle. Why do you need a popsicle? Because it's delicious. He likes to cheer at my sports games. Yeah, kick that ball. Score a basket. Goal! Then he grills the food. What are you grilling us for dinner tonight? Hamburgers. Hot dog. Mac and cheese. Cheese. Mashed potatoes. Strawberries. Raspberries. Blackberries. Mmm, sounds great. Then he prays for dinner. Thank you for our cat. Thank you for our friends. And thank you for the world. The friendship never ends. Amen. After dinner, we played games. I played Uno. You want to play Uno? Sure. Yep. A blue five. I have a blue two. A green two. Draw four, 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 draw four. You have to draw 5,024 cards. Then he tells me a story at bedtime. Once upon a time, there was a dragon in the castles. He is a fire-breathing dragon and an ice-breathing dragon. And they all live happily ever, ever after. The end. My dad always encourages me. I'm so proud of you. I will always be there for you. I love you and Jesus loves you very much. You are a really great kid. Happy Father's Day to all the dads. You're the greatest. Yep, thanks, bye. See you later. Break a leg. <laughs> all right, let's stand up and worship the, our Heavenly Father here today on Father's Day.
Lord, we just thank you that your presence is here and that you're just going to um, just do something awesome today. We just believe that in the hearts and lives of, um, of all of us gathered here and anybody who can hear my voice at this moment. We ask for your Holy Spirit to, to just fill this whole place even greater than ever before. And we give you praise in Jesus' mighty name. Everybody says, amen. At this time, I'm going to ask you to have a seat real quick. We're going to have a baptism. Uh, you got to do better than that. How you doing? Yeah. All right, good. So we had a we had a cool baptism last week. We had twenty plus, right? Yeah. You excited about that? Yeah. Okay. As awesome as you guys are, this one's much better um, because we're gonna have. I'm gonna ask the parents of uh, um, Ella Ray Lloyd to come forward. For those of you who don't know, this is my granddaughter. All right, so um, let's start. Brothers and sisters in Christ, through the sacrament of baptism, we personally and together acknowledge the saving grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. This saving grace, salvation, is offered to us, yes, as a free gift, and it's offered to us without a price. Through baptism, we are identified with Christ and his church and incorporated into God's mighty acts of salvation. The water symbolizes washing and cleansing, for in Christ we are made pure from sin. The water serves as a sign as circumcision was in the Old Testament of entering into a covenant of faith. Children are a gift of God. And um, one of the things I always say at this point is remember that when they're teenagers. Okay. Um, but they are a gift of God. And Psalm 27 says sons are a heritage from the Lord. Children are a reward from them. As believers, we're called to recognize that children belong first and foremost to God. And God in his goodness gives children as gifts to their parents especially their grandparents. Um, they're not only to have this awesome responsibility of caring for this gift, but they also have the wonderful privilege of enjoying the gift. Because children belong first and foremost to God, they're given by, and given by grace gifts as to the parents. It's only proper that children be dedicated back to the Lord as well. We're told in 1 Samuel, one that Hannah presented herself to Samuel to the Lord, herself and Samuel to the Lord. And in Luke 2.22, we recognize that Jesus himself was taken by Mary and Joseph, and um, they went and to dedicate him as accordance with what the Lord said. Today, in the same way, Elijah and Miguel bring together their daughter, Ella Ray Lloyd, and along with everybody else gathered here, representing first themselves and ultimately Ella before the Lord, um, our God. So we are here today as recognized as the body of Christ, that Ella is being brought by her parents to be baptized. So I ask you, as a family of God, we recognize that God's love is already at work in Ella's life. She hears me and she wants me. That's what it is. Um, we pray for the day when Ella will mature and respond to the saving grace of God through her own profession of faith in Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior and to lead a life to faithful discipleship. So bow with me for a prayer, if you will, here. Father, look now upon your church and unseal for us the fountain of baptism. By the power of your Holy Spirit, bless this gift of water. Bless Ella who receives it, so that 
through the sacrament of baptism, your Holy Spirit will guide her and protect her with her journey with Jesus Christ. Amen. Elijah and Abigail, as members of the covenant community of God, through your own confession of faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, will you nurture Ella in Christ's holy church, that by your teaching and example, she may be guided to accept God's grace for herself, to profess her faith openly, and lead to a Christian life? If so, say we will. Okay. And what they said was this. They said that, hey, they recognize that God has entrusted um, Ella to them for the physical needs, spiritual, uh, physical needs, mental needs, um, emotional needs, but also the spiritual needs. So we know cognitively she doesn't have the vast intelligence unless she takes after her maternal grandfather to be able to understand all those things. Um, but um, we do recognize that, she, um, that, that God loves her and, and, and has a purpose for her life. And so their job is to raise her and to know the Lord and that she can choose God's um, path for herself. And that's what we're saying. To everybody else here, and they said they're going to do that. Um, to the covenant community of faith gathered here, will you surround Ella before you with a community of love and forgiveness that she may grow in her faith and trust in God? If so, say we will. We will. That means you guys said we're going to do it. All right. That means when there's nobody on the nursery, you get in there. All right. That's my granddaughter. You got to take care of her. All right. So, all right. Come here, honey. Come here, baby. Yeah, she'll be fine when she sees me, won't you, honey? There's my girl. Come here. Come here. Come here. Let's go. Oh, gotcha. Come here. Hey, 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 look. Look at me. Look at me. Hey, look. Oh, sh- oh, did they pinch you, baby? Oh, you're looking at the light. Come here. You want to see me here? It's okay. I got you. I got you, sweetie. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I know. All right. All right. Come here. I know you don't like this, but hello, Ray Lloyd. Oh, it's called. I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. Come here. Let's go. Oh, look, that's falling off her. Come here. Come here. Hey, 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 hey. Come here, look. Give her a binky. There we go. Come on. There we go, baby. It's all good. Papa will take care of you. All right. Jesus, draw me close. Gosh, I can't do this. Um, here we go. Jesus, draw me close. Closer, Lord, to you. Let the world around me. Fade away, Jesus, draw me close, closer, Lord, to you, for I desire to worship and fuss and obey. Come on, let's go for a walk real quick. We're going to go for a walk. Come on. Come on, let's go. Mike, what are you doing? Ah, I quieted you down, didn't I? Oh, you like attention. That's what it is, right? Oh, it's okay, honey. I got you. I know. Come on, let's go here. She grunts a lot like her grandfather, too. So. Come on. All right, here we go. Come here. I love you. And guess. May I get a smile yet? Do I get a smile? Not today. No. No smile. You just, what's the matter with you? you are, here we go. She's hungry. She's hungry. Oh, wait to not feed her. Make me look bad. All right. No. So wait, no, wait, get back here. All right. So we have a couple things for you. Have some flowers, have um, this, and then uh, thanks to, to Dana's awesome thing, I mentioned that we were looking for some of these, so we got a Haven Church onesie. I, and we're, I, we were talking about doing these for a long while, and I just said to Dana, hey, you know, 
I was talking to her in text, and I said, hey, we were talking about onesies. It'd be cool if we start getting them. And then five minutes later, this is there. I'm like, what is this weird magic you do? So anyway, she said, we're so, we're so blessed to have uh, Dana put all that, a lot of that stuff together, all those things that were there last week. She did a great job, so we're really thrilled to have her and everybody else. So, um, see you, baby. All right. So anyway, um, let's just pray real quick. God, we just thank you for um, this, this point in your life where you're starting to put your uh, holy, uh, you, you're, you're bringing your calling in on Ella's life. We know that you have an amazing plan for her life. I thank you for Elijah and Abigail as they, um, they, they're bringing this um, young, beautiful uh, girl into, um, into this world, which isn't so kind at times. But God, I just continue to hope and pray that your, your direction, your calling on our life will be, um, be the greatest thing ever. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. All right. There you go. So now at this time, um, if you're remaining here, just look at somebody next to you and say happy Father's Day. I know they might not be a father, but say it. Um, and then everybody else, uh, kids, can go to our Haven Kids Ministry. Hey, baby.
guys are great. I'm loving it. Um, what an amazing day. How exciting. Welcome to our family at Haven. You're stuck with us now. You married her and had a baby. You're stuck. Now, it's all good, and happy Father's Day. Um, I do want to shout out thank you, thank you, thank you. Did I say thank you? For last Sunday's baptism was amazing. I can tell you the Holy Spirit was in the house, in the creek, everywhere. I could feel it. I know you all felt it. We've all talked about it. It was amazing. And the fellowship that we had afterwards, the food, it was just wonderful. And I want to thank all of my host team and all of you guys that volunteered and did the chairs and did the tables. You kicked butt. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Actually, I think we did it in record time. I've never seen tables get set up so fast. <laughs> um, and happy Father's Day, all you dads. And for those of you who are like me and your dad's not here, I know you're missing him in your heart today because I miss mine. But I know he's up there watching over me. And that's a good thing because I'm going to go to heaven one day and get to hug him. And I can't wait. Well, I can wait a while, but not this minute. Um, and Bernie's back in the house. Thank you, Jesus. Love that lady. She is amazing. Um, and I do want to shout this out. I'm sure somebody's going to throw a bad tomato at me. But happy anniversary, Pastor Jack and Melissa. I know you want to keep secrets, but somebody told me, and I don't keep secrets very well. Oh, I, and, and your anniversary? Anniversary, Rich and Gail, stand up. I know you didn't see that coming. Neither did I. Woo, woo! 60. I got to talk to you. I'm only on two and a half. I'm not sure I'll make it that far. Oh, that's right. I'll be 100 and some years old. Never mind. Um, and I, I want to say to Rich and Gail, it's good to have you back. We're sorry for your loss. And we know that that's been very difficult. And your son will be missed. The pictures that I saw were beautiful. So you have an amazing family. And you got our love. This church has been praying for you. And we're happy to have you back. And we're happy to celebrate your anniversary. So a little bittersweet, but we got you. Um, and I'm going to shout out to all those online. Because somebody online told me they just giggle when I say put your hands on your knees. I'm like, really? But anyway, so I'm impacting someone somewhere. It's all good. Um, I was going to read the little card for Happy Father's Day. I think my granddaughter designed that. I'm really proud of her. So Happy Father's Day. And the keychain is from Haven. Thank you, Jesus. It's all good. Um, and I wanted to shout out Bob Ward had his surgery. And he did well and he's behaving himself. And Bob sent me a card that says, thank you everyone for your prayers, cards, text, following his foot surgery. And also thank you for everyone who helped out with the food delivery. So he got to eat after he got home. Oh, that was for the food delivered to revive us. Thank you, Jesus. I, will I got my glasses, too. I'm, what can I say? Yes. <laughs> well, now that that's clear, Bob's getting got a lot of meals. Um, and Wes, we are going to, Wes is heavy in our hearts. 
He's got a lot going on with his heart. A couple infections, they've found out what they are, they're treating them, but we love him and we will keep him in prayer every minute of every day, okay? Um, Ruth, two of her sisters are experiencing some really serious health issues. We wanna lift them in prayer. Jaden, she's back, I think she's in the nursery today. Um, she had a, had a concussion and she's doing good. She could see me when she walked through the door and I got a hug, so I know she's doing good. Um, Roxanne. Have we heard anything more from her? She was in the hospital and we're... Okay, well, we're, we're gonna continue to lift Roxanne in our prayers. Um, Donnie fell off the wagon, but Jesus put him right back on it and he went straight to rehab. So I know your prayers out there are working for me. They've been working for 10 years now and I'm not gonna give up on him. Liz, for health, and congratulations to Ed, who I don't see here today, but he did get a job. He was waiting for a door to open, and it did. So he, he's very blessed. Um, Nancy is going to be daring and go on a seven-day trip in the camping, hiking, Tennessee, and the rain's coming. So take your boots. That's all I can say about that. Um, I do want to thank Keith. They shampooed our carpet. That wasn't funny. They shampooed the carpet. It looks nice. But now I'm going to scold all of you. If you, like me, occasionally hit your coffee and knock it over, just tell me or tell Keith. We have one of those little buggy shampoos that cleans it right up. So just tell us. It's not a big deal. Milk spills. So does coffee. It's all good. Um, and I have a very special prayer to shout out today. This one was given to me anonymously. So I know this is gonna to touch somebody's heart really hard today. We're praying for the hidden battles that we face that no one else knows about but Jesus. Trust his goodness and have faith in God. He will bring you through it, okay? I know there's someone in their heart today working on that. Hi, Kira. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, we're going to pray, and we know what we do when we pray here, because obviously I'm getting to the people out there too. We put our hands on our knees, and we give it to God. Whatever's in your heart, whatever you woke up and you were frustrated about today, all those happy cookouts you're going to have today, and you're worrying about what to cook and not to cook, give it to God. When we give things to God, he is here to give us riches. He's not here to take away. So ask, and you will receive. Softening of our hearts when we're sad. The things that bother us deeply, and we can't seem to get through them, turn them over to God. He will lighten. He will lighten your load. He will take it away. And now we're going to put our hands up to heaven because we know what comes down from Jesus. Grace, love, forgiveness, mercy. I mean, he is amazing. Receive it. Receive it and put it in your hearts today. And I'm still going to challenge you, pay it forward because Jesus loves us all. And I want to tell you, I've had three pay it forwards get back to me. So you all are kicking butt. But I know we can kick harder. And be with Pastor Jack today as I know he's just as excited as a bubble with that new baby. 
bless him in the message that he gives to us, that it gets to our hearts, and that Jesus comes in. In Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen. about that. Um, um, so welcome, everybody. If you're visiting with us today, welcome. We just want you to relax and have a good time and just hear what God has for you. Um, again, I just want to touch on last week, the, ba- the baptism. Again, as Joanna mentioned, so many people really connected and did a great job in making all that um, come off Joanna's team, um, Dana's group and team, and just um, everybody, Keith getting in the water with me down there. And one of the things that was really cool, the last verse, if you weren't here last week, we talked about um, about the, the vision from Ezekiel, the getting into your ankles, into your knees, and um, bringing you into the waist. And then it said, got in the middle of the river where it was um, teeming with fish or teeming with life. And down there, and we've been in there several times, and there has been more water and less water and other things. And there were fish all around us the whole time, not going anywhere. It was just really kind of cool to see what God was doing. And then we came in here and got really fed very well, which was awesome as, as well in there. So again, thank you all for that. And the people who, who we celebrated with, the people who were baptized, um, thank you all so much. And we're just excited about what God's doing in, in your life there. All right. Um, so we have that. Also, today is the last day for the baby bottle drive. Um, and I know some of you forgot it. Like, ah, that's all right. You can talk to somebody and they'll figure it out. But we have that. Um, and then again, um, uh, just um, we had a couple other announcements there. I know several people will often ask me about um, grief share and things, and I saw that's coming up. And we have lots of different things that are coming up as well. And we're um, you might have seen the announcement. We are in this series called One Month to Live. Um, we had done this a couple years ago, um, several years ago actually, and we're kind of retooling a little bit because they've made some changes. But with that, we, we're going to offer a one, one class that we're doing Tuesday nights for the next five weeks um, at 6:30. 
and it'll be right here. So if you want to participate and connect, um, feel free. It'll be based off of this. There is a book that was put out, um, and I'll talk to you a little bit about that in a second. Um, but we're going to really talk about one month to live if you had one month to live. So everybody good? And ready, ready to go on. So let's get, let's get into this today. We are going to kick off what um, we call the One Month to Live Challenge or the One Month to Live series. And um, back in 2006, when I was a pastor in Lewis, Delaware, I went on a, um, on a uh, conference and a retreat conference to Saddleback um, Church out in, in um, California, the pa- where Pastor Rick Warren has been the pastor for years. And uh, the conference was there. It was the Purpose Driven Conference. And I went out there, and in one of the breakout sessions, I met a guy who started a church in Woodlands, Texas, and his name was Kerry Shook. And he was really, really kind of neat guy, um, really, really bold, really kind of cool, and um, sat and talked with him. And he started a church in Woodlands, Texas that went from his family and a couple other people to one of the largest churches in the area. And um, he, he was just a neat guy to talk to, and within the next year, he, had, he and his wife had released a book called One Month to Live, and it went with a concept, this whole kind of concept, that if I, was, if I found out today that I had 30 days to live or one month to live, what would I do with that month? What would be different? And so that's the question that's really important here to ask. And so during this series, uh, we call it a challenge because we, we really want to do, we just don't want it to be like, okay, here's a message, and you hear it, and you're like, oh, that was a good message, which it is every week. Um, you don't want to do that and just like say, okay, and, and you forgot about it, and you went on, or you liked it, and, and said, I think I like that, I don't like this. What we really want you to do is ask yourself the question uh, I'm constantly, and I'm going to talk about that in a second, to really apply to your life. And what we want you to do is put it somewhere that every day you wake up and you ask yourself the question. If this, if I was told I had one month to live, what would I do differently that day? And what we want to do is, usually what happens is, and what we've seen with um, people who have really taken this challenge seriously, is they start doing the most important things that they put off. They start doing those things first. And they, they stop feeling an urgency to the things that we spend so much time, to the things that didn't really matter in the long run. And this question is simply one of the most endless and profound questions. If, once again, what would you do if you only had one month to live? Starting today. So if you had one month to live, what would you do? So again, continually asking ourselves the question, we want to we see how this not only fo- changes during the focus of the series, but also in, in our life um, in general. Because I don't know about you, how many people ever get distracted in life? Anybody get distracted in life? I do all the time. And it's easy for us to forget that our most precious commodity is time, right? We just kind of feel like, like it's just never going to end, don't we? We just take for granted. We make plans for next year or uh, a few weeks or maybe a couple years down the road. And sometimes and one thing that we learned over the last couple years, we're not promised of anything, right? We have people who were planning for retirement, people who were planning for all kinds of other things. And because of COVID and because of other kinds of things, they didn't get that opportunity. And so I, that's why I thought it was really important to kind of do this because we get distracted in life with other kinds of things. And it's so easy for us to get distracted in life because there's so many ways to get distracted in life. Um, and we start to drift and get cruise control and just got to go through the motions and like, okay, another day. And we're, we're just, we kind of feel like we're going to be on earth forever. We're just going to be here forever. And, um, you know, like, I don't know about you, but anybody that when you're driving, um, you ever just kind of zone out when you're driving? Anybody? 
Okay, you can admit it. If your parents are next to you, just kind of wink or something, you know. Um, but you just kind of zone out. How many of you ever been, like, going somewhere and you missed your turn? How many of you ever went to Jersey and missed your turn and you hated the next five hours of your life trying to get back to where you were, right? Um, I've done that several times. Um, but at times, I'm just kind of like, I'll be riding down the road and Melissa or one of the kids, where are you going? I'm, I don't know. I'm going, you know, and then you're like, oh, I missed my turn. Okay. And I do this thing like, I've driven this many years without you. And I'm like, how did I miss that turn? Um, and, and sometimes we just kind of, sometimes I miss GPS. Anybody like GPS is talking, you don't want to listen to their voice, you shut that out too. And it's like, uh, you know, we go through this time and time again. And we just tend to be on cruise control, just like uh, going through life. And if you don't believe that, go down the road that you go down a lot in your car and get up, go and walk there. Walk that same road and see how much stuff you see that you didn't see when you're driving. Because we just like keep on going, mind numb, all this kind of stuff. Going through the motions, plodding through life, all this other kind of stuff. And when we do that, when we live life that way, we often drift into regrets. We drift into the lane of regrets. And God wants us to drive down and live a life of no regrets. That's what his ultimate goal for us is to live a life that he's called us to do, one with no regrets. And one of the things is, we got to remind ourselves that life is brief. It is very, very brief when we look at it. When we look at the grand context of everything, when we look, it's, it's a short amount of time in all of human history that we're here. And we've got to combat the drift out zone because there's several times that we just got to look and say, okay, what are we going to do? And so that's why we want to ask this question. That's why the need for the series, because we don't want people to say, oh gosh, I should have done that. Now, I, um, I was looking and I found uh, a couple of things. You know, people make bucket lists. Anybody ever made a bucket list? Like something you want to do or, or several things that you want to do before you die. And, um, and I found some of the most demented ones online. Um, one said, before I die, I want to have a face mask of Chick-fil-A sauce. <laughs> Guess you're not getting it on Sunday, but anyway. Um, one person said, I want, to, I want to crash a stranger's wedding and stand up and object when they say, um, does anybody object? Um, I thought this was very interesting. I literally want to drop kick someone. I started thinking about it. I'm like, yeah, that might be fun. I'll add that to my life. Um, this one I thought was odd. Um, I want to spend the night in a coffin. They kind of do look a little comfortable at times. You know, they got a little spring in there. I don't know. Um, and then I thought this was really demented, too. Um, I want to hire two private investigators and have them follow each other around. <laughs> and that also, that is somebody who's so demented. I love them. I want to invite them to my house, you know. Um, but um, there's that one. But anyway, um, there's a lot of different things that when we, when we look at this. And we want, I want to look at, for the next five weeks, I just want to unpack. If we were told today that um, we have one month to live, how will we live it differently? And more importantly, if we have years to live, why don't we live it like we have 30 days to live? All right? And so I just want to open up with a, with a prayer, if you will. Lord, today as we kick off this series and this challenge, uh, we just commit ourselves to you, Lord, um, to follow you, to ask this question. May it challenge us to really wake up. Um, we so easily fall asleep at the wheel. And Lord, wake us, wake us up to the fact that we have a purpose and a plan for our lives. And you don't want us just to waste our lives by existing or surviving or just making it to the next day. You don't want us to live as if it doesn't matter, but you want to bring us and you promise to bring us the fullness of life. So I, I pray that over the next month, the next 30 days, that God, you will do miracles. And in our midst, you would work miracles in families and in people's lives and in relationships, but especially, Lord, 
work miracles in our hearts and our lives and minds as we wake up to what life is really about. And for we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Everybody says, Amen. Amen. All right. Um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, the Apostle Paul, right before this, he really kind of, he wrote a lot to the Corinthians, but he, he, right before this, he really tells them something to kind of shake them and jolt them um, because they started drifting into these areas of regret. They were complacent about lots of things. And they were just, just kind of like, okay, they were just complacent about following God. They started going through the motions. They started, and Paul just wanted to give them a wake-up call and say, hey, wake up here. I need you to, need you to listen to me here. I need you to, to wake up because I, want you, I don't want you to die with regrets in your life. I don't want you to be like, oh, man, I wish I, I should have, could I. I, sh- I wish I had done that, or I, I wish that I had listened to God's calling here. But so here's what he writes here. He says, even if I caused you sorrow, he's writing about his letter. He said, and, he, and he really kind of gave it to him a little bit. And he said, even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. But then he says, though I did regret it. Now, what in the world is going on here? He said he wrote it, and he doesn't regret what he said being harsh about their complacency because he says, you guys, I don't want you to end up with a life with regret, so I'm going to tell you, you need to follow God. You need to do what he wants you to do. He said, I see in my letter that that letter hurts you, but only for a little while. Yet I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. And we're going to spend today unpacking some of this in this series um, on some of these things. So if you look at that phrase, leads to regret, I don't know about you, but I want to live a life where I I, I, at the end of it, I have no regrets. Wouldn't that be great to say you had no regrets, you lived the life that God called you to do, and that's the road I want to be on. So as a pastor um, over 27 plus years, I have, I've heard so many regrets from people. I've been with so many people at the end of life, and, um, and they just spill out regrets. I've heard things like they wish they would have done this, or they wish they could have not done that, or they wish they had planned to go here and never did, and they wish they, they had said, or they wish that they hadn't said, or lots of missed opportunities, or goals that weren't accomplished. In every funeral that I, that I do, I ask the family, um, what were some of their goals? And I'm always, I always love when somebody said, you know what, they, they really accomplished everything they wanted to do. And I'm like, okay, great. That's, that's something that's amazing and awesome. Um, and so, you know, I want to know what that means to live a life of no regrets, and how to get on that road. And the Apostle Paul tells us how to get on that road right here. He gives us the directions. And he tells us in that first part of the sentence, he says that godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation, that leads to no regret. So let's think about that. Godly sorrow. What is godly sorrow? Godly sorrow is the pain, the grief, and the hurt of our regrets and our failures and our mistakes and our sins and are missed opportunities. Now, it's godly sorrow, and I'm going to give you a difference between godly sorrow, because he says worldly sorrow just brings death. That Worldly sorrow just brings bad feelings. Like, have you ever been sorry for something? Like, you just, you're sorry for it, but you feel bad about it? Like, you're just, oh, I feel bad, but then, like, 10 minutes later, you forget about it. Anybody been there? Um, and, and so so often we got them mixed up. Off, off, 
a lot of times what we do is we are more convicted, more upset about worldly sorrows, things that we've done or said or we shouldn't have done or said or, or should have been, than we are about godly sorrow, which are the things that God calls us to do. And we, we kind of just like, okay, I'm sorry, God. Okay, you forgive me. And I move on and we forget about it when it should bring, produce something in us. You see, worldly sorrow is about feelings. Godly sorrow is about action and what it produces. Now, here's what I, here's what I want to share with you is that, that when we look at this, our, our, and you see what the pattern here, that our godly sorrow, when we really feel like, oh my gosh, I, I really don't, I don't want to do that. I want to serve God. I want to do something. It brings a repentance. We're going to talk about repentance in a second. But, and that repentance leads us to salvation. And salvation leads us to a life of no regrets. So if you want to get on the road to regrets, then you need what? Salvation. In order to get salvation, what do you need before that? Anybody? Repentance. And in order to get repentance, you need to have godly, godly sorrow. That's the key, godly sorrow. So follow the pattern here, all right? This is why you guys get lost in Jersey as well, all right? Um, but, but these are several different things that we have. So the pain of our regrets our regrets, the ways that we, we may not have accomplished what God wanted us to do. That leads us to seek God's forgiveness and repentance. And that pushes us to God's forgiveness. The irony is simply this. Unless you feel that pain of regret, you'll never get off the road to regret. If you're feeling pain today because of a failure, a missed opportunity, it could be that you have that pain in your life because God wants to allow you to have godly sorrow to produce repentance, to produce salvation, so that you can live a life of no regrets, to push you closer to him. So what is repentance? Repentance is a big churchy word. Um, and, you know, the word repent, we, I often think about somebody with a big sandwich board saying, repent or burn, turn or burn, right? Those kind of things. Um, and they, they usually don't do much for people. Um, but what, what I want to say about that is repentance is, is something that's, that's much better than that. I remember when we went to um, Las Vegas, we were out there for, um, we did a trip um, for uh, Emigel's, one of her, gra- her graduations, and we went out, she wanted to go out west, and we went, and we went all the way around. We did like 800 miles or plus in a week and went Grand Canyon, all these other places, that um, Zion, all kinds of stuff. It was kind of cool, and we finished up in Vegas, and we went down to Fremont Street, which has anybody been to Vegas there? It's a little, little crazy, right? And, and as we were there, they have street performers that are some of the most interesting things you've ever seen, um, and like there's a guy in a Minotaur costume. Yep, he's a guy in a Minotaur costume. Now, if you saw you guys aren't stunned by that. You must have been to Vegas, all right? Um, but he's very tall. He's there, and he's dancing. It was very, the first time in my life I've ever seen a minotaur dance. Um, and that's just the minor thing that goes on there. And there's bands, and there's food, and there's all kinds of cool stuff that is there. But in the midst of that, there were some people who were Christian people who were signs, sandwich boards, repent, you're going to burn, you're going to burn in hell, you know. And there's some truth to that, but there was absolutely no grace. And in the midst of this whole thing, I was finding myself not liking them and liking the Minotaur a heck of a lot more. You know what I mean? I'm like, I really like the Minotaur because he's real and, and he could have that. And meanwhile, they're in his face, they're in itself, and the Minotaur's like, you better get out of my face. You know, and I was like, yeah, get out of my face too. I'm trying to have some fun and enjoy life here, and you're making God miserable. And this was what was going on. So when we hear that term repent, that's what we think of. We think of like it's this weighty thing, but it, it just is not that. It means about face. It means to change the direction that we go, to just make a, a change of direction. So, for instance, if you're headed to Ocean City, Maryland, 
and you're heading there, and you drive on Route 1, and you may take 13 or 113 or whatever, and you're going down that way, and you're driving for about two hours, and you're feeling really good, and then all of a sudden you see a sign that says, New York in 50 miles. Are you going to say, well, I'll eventually hit it and keep going? Are you going to do that? No, what are you going to do? You're going to get off on the next desert. You're going to turn around, and again, that way you're probably in Jersey, so it's going to take you another hour. You're going to come back around. You're going to head backwards. You're going to try to find the quickest way to get back on track, correct, and get to Ocean City, all right? So you were headed in an area where you thought you were headed, and you got off track, and now you have to, ready, watch this, repent, that's what it means, and go a different direction. Because if you're seeking Ocean City, you aren't going to find it in Manhattan. you got to turn around and go a different route, the correct route. And that's really what God is telling us. When he says repent, he's not turn or burn and sandwich board across the head and that kind of stuff. He's just telling you, hey, I've got a direction that I want you to get to, a place where I want you to be, and you're headed toward New York, and you think you're headed toward Ocean City, and it isn't going to work. Repent, turn around, and come back that way. Everybody understand that? Okay, there we go. All right, so, so if you really want to mess with somebody, if they're heading the wrong direction, just go, repent, and they'll, they'll jump and whatever else. So we've got to make that U-turn in life many times. And so our regrets can actually redirect us to get on the right path. So often what we do is we get caught up in our regrets and we get crushed by them that we don't move anywhere. Then we say, well, I just, it's too late. I've got to keep on going here. You know, it's too late to get to Ocean City They'll probably close Ocean City down. I'll just head to New York. No, you don't live that way. That's dumb. And, but we do that more so with our life. I've already done this. You don't know what I've done. I'm, I'm far too bad to ever have God in my life, to have him ever to love me, et cetera, et cetera. And you keep heading in that direction. And that direction is one that's going to lead you to the wrong place in life. And we need to change that up because our regrets can redirect us. So if you're feeling pain today or regret in somewhere, let me tell you, good. Why? Because God wants to use that to redirect you, to get you onto the path of his calling in life. Our regrets will either do one of two things. They'll redirect us or they'll ruin us. One of two things. Paul said that it's in your pain that it pushes you toward God, or it will do another thing. Your pain, sadly, I've met many people who because of their pain and regrets, it pushes them away from God. But it's your choice in which way you want to do. So what we're going to do is we're going to share you, with you four principles that I'm going to unpack throughout this series, the next four weeks. It's kind of like an opening thing. And I want you, uh, and, it's about, and we learn them from the life of Jesus. And if you think about it, Jesus knew he had a month to live, right? And we can learn some really cool things about that because you and I don't know that. I mean, that's, that's one of the keys of being the son of God. You know what's going to happen. But the bottom line is this. He showed us how to live with that month left that we can apply to our lives so that we can live the life that God called us to be, have and live a life with no regrets. So let's, let's look at this. These four principles, we're going to take a look at some of these today, and then we'll, we'll continue on. So the first one, the first one is this, to live passionately. Everybody say live passionately. That was not very passionate. Say live passionately. Okay, what do I mean by that? Stop playing it safe. And you're like, some of the kids are like, ooh, see, mom? No, no, listen to me for a second. To live passionately, we're going to have to make a U-turn and to stop playing it safe sometimes in life. Because naturally in my life, I start drifting in my life. I like comfort and security. I like to be comfortable. I like, I like nicer things. Like, I remember, I don't know if any of you were like us, but I remember when, 
we had like one air, one or two air conditions. One was built in the wall. Anybody know that? There's a big one that was put in the wall. And the other one was, um, was in mom and dad's room. And when it got really hot, we had, uh, we had to lay in the floor in the dining room that had it in the wall. And now if it's coming out a little too warm, I'm like, ah, this is dumb. How dare they? This air, we have it everywhere. I re- my first car was a black CRX, well, my nicest car um, back at the time, was a black CRX SI, and it had um, no air conditioning. I didn't care because it was cool until it was August, and I had to take an 80-plus-year-old woman down to my grandmother's birthday party, and a little bit of air, she said, was blowing her hair. It was 100 degrees in August, and I'm like, and she was like, oh, it's wonderful. I'm like, how are you not sweating? You know, I mean, I, I, when I look at air conditioning, I enjoy it. I take it for granted when it's, when, it's not, when it's there. And so what we're looking at in life, that there's a problem sometimes along in our life that somewhere we made our goal to be comfortable. Somewhere along the line, we said, God wants me comfortable. And I never see that in Scripture. God could care less about your comfort. He could care less about that. He cares about your conviction. Natural human tendency is to want comfort. I get it. But the comfort zone that we, we, we seek so many times is not, does not able us to live a comfortable life in many ways. You are made to live a passionate life. You are made to be fully alive. With that, there's risk and faith filled with the passion that God has placed in your heart. But again, we often drift toward comfort. And when I think about it, what, anybody know what the number one recliner name is? See, you got it right away. You know, it's a, in the hardworking boy or dangerous boy or on the edge boy. No, it's lazy boy, right? That's what we have. We have that out there. We want comfort. We want to kick back in our lazy boy and watch games and movies and all kinds of other stuff and be comfortable. And when our goal becomes to be comfortable and safe and secure above all things, we realize something very importantly. That security is an illusion. Security is an illusion. And, 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 you know, Helen Keller said this. She said, security is most, uh, mostly just a superstition. It does not exist in nature, nor do the children of men as a whole experience it. Life is either a daring adventure or it's nothing at all. So often we, we look at this kind of thing. Um, the U.S. Product Safety Commission did an extensive risk uh, study on roller coasters. How many like roller coasters? How many like really, really like roller coasters? Okay, there's, psych- there's psychologists, out, uh, psychologists out here for you. I mean, I, I get on them and I'm like, I, I will be scared to death. I've never, never really liked them that much. And my, my family put, made me get on, um, what is that thing, Space Mountain, like a month or two after. And that thing's in the dark. And then you want to freak somebody out, somebody who doesn't like that. I'm in the bathroom on YouTube. They probably thought I ate something wrong, but I'm on YouTube looking at Space Mountain with the lights on, like what I'm going to experience. And it still was hellacious, all right? Um, but some of you like roller coasters. And I've always, I never liked that drop feeling like, ah, you know, I want to, I like secure. I like my feet on the ground. I'm Casey Casey, my feet on the ground reaching for the stars. That's what I like. But when, I'm, when, I, when they did this study, here's what they found. That you're more likely to be injured playing a round of golf than riding on a roller coaster. And so we often think of them as risk and excitement, but... Um, a lot of times it's, it's more to, to that if, if we go ahead and do that. They said you're more likely to be injured sitting in a lawn chair than riding on a roller coaster. I think I'll take my chances with a lawn chair. I don't know about you, but I'll, I'll go that way. But anyway, um, we were made to live passionately and far too often. Like, think about it. And here's how we live our life. 
like we, we ride down I-95 and we say, you know what, I, I, I don't want to get in an accident, so I'm going to stop right in the middle of I-95. I'm not driving 80, so I'm good. That's putting you in the most dangerous part. And many times in our life, we just stop and get comfortable, and we are susceptible to everything that's flying at us because we're living this comfortable life that God never inqu- uh, required us or called us to do. The comfort zone at many times can be the death zone because we were made to be fully alive to take the risk of faith. <clears throat> Look at this passage in Scripture from Luke chapter 31. It says this. Jesus went on to say, To what then can I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? They're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to each other. We played the pipe for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not cry. What Jesus was saying to this group was very simple. He said, you're waiting for something, and you're waiting for someday, and you're missing it because today's your someday. They cried out for a Messiah, and he said, here I am. Here I am. And he said, you didn't even pay attention. You didn't even care. And, <clears throat> and I thought about this. How many times in life have we lost a passion just for living? Just lost a passion for living. That, you know, we have this joy, and we're like, okay. We have this sorrow, and we're like, okay. You take the good with the bad. We're up and down. You're in and out, up and down. You know, all that kind of stuff. And we just have no no passion behind things. And he says, I was, I was playing you the music of life, but you were dancing to someone else's tune. I, the sad song that I played, you didn't cry, you're just numb. You're seeing people who are just so numb to stuff. There's a verse in scripture that talks about you've forgotten how to blush. And you know, we've seen and we've heard so many things that we're often not shocked by the most horrific things in life. We're not shocked. We see, we see images, we hear things, and we're like, mm, okay. We're not shocked by the numbers of human sex trafficking around the world. We're not shocked by, by the, uh, the high incidence of molestation of children in our world. We're not shocked by those. We look at those numbers, we go, oh, man, where's our passion? We're not shocked by the fact that most of the world lives on a dollar or two a day. We're not shocked by it. We just take it. Why? Because we've accepted comfort rather than passion. And God's called us to passion in, in life. Jesus said they had no passion for life. They had no compassion for others. They did not lie, laugh. They did not cry. They did not dance. They did not live. They wasted their lives. And he said, you were made to live passion. And next week we're going to talk about living passionately. And that first principle. And we need to live passionately. So that's where we're going to start next week. By changing direction and living, living with passion and compassion. The second one, love completely. If you had 30 days to live and you, and you knew that, I guarantee you, you would want to love completely. The problem is, in order to love completely, we've got to stop giving half our heart. We've got to stop doing it halfway. Half-hearted commitments at the end of your life will be full regrets at the end of your life. I've been with so many people, as I said, at the end of life, and most of their regrets are not their failures. Most of their regrets have to do with several other things. And I have a list of some of the things. Um, Twelve things people regret most before they die. I wish I had spent more time with the people that I loved. I wish I had worried less. I wish I had forgiven more. I wish I had stood up for myself. 
I wish I had lived my own life, not the life that others wanted for me. I wish I had been more honest. I wish I had worked less. I wish I had cared less about what others thought of me. I wish I had lived to my full potential. I wish I had faced my fears. I wish I'd stopped chasing the wrong things. I wish I'd lived more in the moment. Interesting, the first one was I would spent more time with the people that I love, to love completely. Most of the regrets are not the people's failures at the end of their life, not the things they screwed up on, but it's mostly the regrets about things they didn't do, as I shared here. They're not the big bucket list, like I wish I had traveled the world or I had jumped out of an airplane or climbed Mount Everest. It's mostly those things that hurt relationships. I wish I had called that person. I wish I had mended that relationship with them. I wish I hadn't put up huge barriers in certain areas. And that's where our greatest regrets will be if we don't do something about it. In this one month to live series and challenge, we're going to focus a lot on loving completely. So we have to stop giving our hearts. And so what does it mean to love completely like Jesus did? How do you do that? Well, you've got to stop giving half your heart. We've got to stop doing those kind of things. And look at, look at this verse from Matthew chapter 22. It says, Jesus put it this way, Love the Lord your God with half your heart and one-third of your soul and with three-fourths of your mind. And all that adds up to a happy life, correct? No. Love the Lord with what? And with? And with? And this is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like this. Love your neighbor as yourself. And you know what? Even if we don't like ourselves at times, we love ourselves a lot. All. That's part of that passion for life, but it's also a complete love that we have here. And so we've got to, we've got to look at that. If we had 30 days to live, I guarantee you we wouldn't say, eh, I don't feel like loving them today. Oh, I'm tired of them. Oh, my gosh, there they come in. No, I think, we'll, I think we'll, we'd change some of that if we had 30 days to live. You see, the Christian life is a carpool. We were made to go through life together on this road to life. And we were made to have others. We, we want to be in that lane. What is it, HOV lane? Is that the one where you had to have people in there? And, we, and far too often, we put little cardboard cutouts of ourselves in there and say, look, we're riding with other people. But we're not. The Christian life was be, to be done, done together. And one of the greatest things last week was after the baptism to come in and just see so many people just having a good time, people serving together and people eating together and just spending time and doing life together. Because guess what? If you don't like doing it here, you're really going to hate heaven. Because it's about, it, you, you don't even have the people here of your generation. You have everybody in all of history that loves the Lord. That's a lot of people. A lot of people. And so there, I'm, 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 I can't wait. I, there's a, lot, a whole list of people I can't wait to sit at the dinner table with, right? You know, I mean, you know, family and other ones, but I, I want to, I want to kind of find the Apostle Paul, you know what I mean? I mean, I don't know if he has a better table or not, but I'm going to end up there, you know? So I'm going to be like, hey, you know, tell me about this. I, 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 you know, I just, want to, I just want to meet the people who love the Lord. C.S. Lewis, I mean, just amazing people. And I know they're doing the thing, screw tape letters on Wednesdays. I mean, just, just amazing people of faith that they aren't better than me. They're sinners saved by grace and a love with Jesus. But ultimately, he's the guest of honor. It's just going to be fun to sit at a table with them. And God, I hope all of you as well, if you love the Lord. And so we've got to learn to do that as well. Number three, learn humbly. It's a hard one. And why do I know it's a hard one? Because I know many of you in your lives, and I know my life. And how do we learn humbly? We've got to stop running from our pain. That's hard, isn't it? 
That's a hard thing to do. It's very difficult. I've got to stop running from my pain because naturally I want to avoid my pain. Naturally, I put up all kinds of defense mechanisms so I don't have to deal with my pain or my shortcomings and other things. Um, and, and we just do that with everything. We, we kinda, some of us use things, and many people in the world anesthetize their pain so they will get involved with any kind of thing that they can in life. Or they'll run or they'll just ignore, and so we stay busy. That's one of my great tools, stay busy. You're so busy, you're so busy. And you can find out if somebody's running for the pain if you say, how you doing? Say, oh, I'm good, I'm just so busy. Yeah, you're running for some kind of pain in life. We stay busy so we don't have to think about our pain, so we don't have to think about those areas because it hurts when we think about those areas. And if we do that, we get focused on that. And if we don't U-turn and turn to God, then we go down the same road that brought us that pain, then we end up at a place where it's crushing to our lives. So we stay busy and, um, until the evening when our head hits the pillow and our mind starts going through everything and we start to say, man, it still hurts. It still hurts. Jesus is our greatest example. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, it says here, it says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and found in the appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to a cross, even death on a cross. Notice Jesus did not run from the cross. Notice Jesus did not run from his pain. Matter of fact, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed, Father, if you can take this cup from me, because it's going to be painful, and I'm feeling the weight of the world on me, and I don't want to deal with it, and I, it, it doesn't feel good. It's painful, but not my will, yours be done. And he took the cross. Scripture says, for the joy set before him, he took the cross. He wasn't going, woohoo, the cross. No, he wasn't doing that. He was saying, my gosh, this is horrible. But I'm doing it. Why? Because he knew it was the only way to connect you and me back to the Father. And that love completely was greater than any pain he had in his own existence. If you run from your pain, you'll miss out on the purpose that God has for your life. 2 Corinthians 7.10 in the Message Version tells us, The stress that drives us to God does that. It turns us around. It gets us back in the way of salvation. We never regret that kind of pain. But those who let distress drive them away from God are full of regrets and end up on a deathbed of regrets. Your pain and your problems, if managed properly, will drive you to God. To be on, let, you know, let's be honest. And, and let's be real honest right now. Let's not play church. Let's be really honest. If you had no problems or pain, you wouldn't even be here. If we had no problems or pain or issues and if our life was always wonderful, we'd have no need for God because we'd be our own God and everything would be wonderful. And so everything would be smooth sailing, never had any pain, never any stress, and the life that we were building would be our own and we could just go through that. But our problems sometimes cause us to realize I am not in control of my life and I need a Savior and He's it. And they bring us to our knees and our pain pushes us at many times back into God's arms. When we realize, God, I can't handle this, and I need you. Then we discover God's power. Then we discover and find f total fulfillment. And the reason why we were made for a relationship, as I've said before, the two most important days of life are the one that you're born and the reason why you find out why you were born. God doesn't cause the pain, but God will utilize your pain to drive you to himself to fulfill your purpose. And the point is this. Some of you are running from your pain right now. You're trying to ignore it. 
You're trying to put on a game face and act like it's not there. There's a lot of mistakes in your life that you may call failures. There's a lot of pain and a lot of hurt. Um, You may have hurt others, and that brings on a lot of guilt. And you're just making it through life day to day. And that is not the fullness of life that God has promised us. Jesus promised us the fullness of life. And so you go through the motions. You have grief that you never dealt with. But you've never left and allowed that to push you to God. God says, just stop and come to me and turn to me, and I'll give you my power, my strength, and my love and rest. You know, like, I I was thinking about when we first did this. I went back and looked at some of the messages and some of the things I put down, and I was thinking, you know, one of the things I put down there, I said, I'm really good at every, when everything's going great. Like, in life, I'm, I'm really good. Anybody good in life when everything's good? Like, you know, you're just rolling along, and you're continuing. Like, it's good when there's no problem. It's good. And when you're really busy, those kind of things there. And I would always say, you know, one of the things I would say is like, okay, how you doing? Oh, I'm good. I'm really, really busy. And when you're in that busy season, what you don't realize is that I'm not being as intentional of living as God called me to be. Because guess what? If, I, if you just say, oh, you know, I'm just kind of hectic right now because it's a really busy season, what you're really saying is that's life. Life is always busy. Life is always crazy. Life is always, life is always filled with problems and pain and difficulties. You know why? Because we're not in heaven yet. We're not in heaven yet. And regardless of what Belinda Carlisle sings, heaven is not a place on earth for my 80s friends, all right? Um, it's, the, it's in the place of pain, though, that I have been driven closest into the arms of God, in the place of pain. And so many people at the end of their lives, one of the things I recognize is that many of them are often very dependent upon somebody else. I know that was probably one of the hardest things for my dad is when he became immobile and then mom passed away, he was completely dependent on his kids. And I get it. You know, I love my kids, um, but I, 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 I hope that I never have a day selfishly for myself where they have to take care of me in the ways. That's just, you know, it's Father's Day. Father's, that doesn't seem right, does it? It just doesn't fit with us. It's a loving act, but it just doesn't seem like something that we, we, that we, we want to deal with. But at the end of life, I've met so many people are dependent on others. What we need to recognize is that through all life, we need to be dependent on God. And when we get it, then we're in a better place, that we really need to be dependent on God. Even physically, you know one of the things we take for granted, that we have physical dependence on God? You're all breathing right now, correct? You know, you don't have to think about, just imagine we had to think about breathing. Okay, I forgot to breathe. You know, that God just put that together that we just get to breathe because he breathed life into us and we get to have that until one day it's gone. And so we want to continue to give God thanks for each and every day. And some of us, the problem is, some of us have been heading down a road and we're driving down the road and we we got hold of the steering wheel with all our might. And um, and then we hit a rocky road and or you know, it, it, we start to skid and we hit that ditch or we're like that Carrie Underwood song, Jesus Take the Wheel, which has always bothered me because she's driving on a snowy Christmas Eve with a kid in the back when she should have been at home. And then when she goes into a skid, she does something I've never heard in driver safety. She throws her hands up in the air and says, Jesus, take the wheel. I'm like, I'm, that's not his fault. You were out there then. But um, sorry, I'll just give you that one. But um, many of us are living our lives like that. We're driving on a road that we shouldn't be. We're driving in areas that we couldn't be. And then when we get in a problem, we say, Jesus, take the wheel. And he's like, okay, that's what I want to do. That's what I want to do in your life. And many of us are fighting for control. 
We're trying to do it with our own strength, and we're trying to fix our own problems, and we're trying to make this relationship work ourselves, and we're trying to get rid of bad habits and hang-ups, and you can't do it until you give the wheel to Jesus and surrender your life to him to have his presence and his power and his guidance and purpose in your life. Last thing here, leave boldly. Because guess what? Everybody's going to die. Have a great Father's Day. Um, So guess what? We've got to stop waiting to live. You are more dead now than you were when you came in here today. Guess I'm just full of good ones today, aren't I? It's the truth. Stop waiting to live. Look at, your, look at the person next to you and say, stop waiting to live. Stop waiting to live. We need to leave boldly. Jesus left a bold legacy. Our, a theme verse for this whole message is this from Psalm 90, and it says this. Look, teach us to number our days. Recognize how few they are. Help us to spend them as we should. And that's not to make you feel guilty about you wasting your time. Because remember, God put in Sabbath for us to rest. So he put those in. But this one month to live challenge, the series challenge is, and I pray that's more than that, but it's to believe that if this was the last month of your life, that you'll be more alive than ever before, that you'll be doing things that you've always wanted or needed to do. You'll be saying the things that you should have said. Some, maybe you got into an argument with somebody 20 years ago. You don't even know what it's about now. And we're going to talk a lot in the series, the statement that today is your someday. Somebody says, oh, someday I'll get to it. Oh, someday. You're not promised a someday. Today is your someday. Today is your someday. And so you may need to do something today. Some of you need to make that phone call today to tell somebody how much you care about them and how much you appreciate them. Some of you need to write a handwritten note. And if you don't know what that is, look on the Internet. They'll tell you. But you write a handwritten note, and you get a stamp. If you don't know that, Find somebody over the age of 50. They'll tell you what it is. Put it on it. Mail it in a mailbox. If you don't know what that is, ask somebody. Um, but you, you write a card and write an, in de- write an in-depth text message just telling people how you feel about them. People at the end of life say far too often, oh, man, I wish I had a, I should have. I should have called them. I should have told them. One of the saddest things I've ever seen is people who have been bitter enemies for years or were best friends in, or some relationship, and then when they, they haven't talked in years, but when somebody's on their deathbed, that person rolls in. And it's good because it heals, but at that time, it creates so much mixed feelings for people. And you say, my gosh, I have wasted so much of life, my life because our days are few, and we waste so much of them on nonsense. And God never intended us to do that. We need to not wait, to do it now. In 2 Timothy, it tells us this. The Apostle Paul wrote, I have no regrets. I couldn't be more sure of my ground. The one I've trusted in can take care of what he's trusted me to do right to the end. When I look at the Apostle Paul's life, he killed Christians when he was Saul. He killed Christians. He said he was the worst of the worst. And yet at the end he says, I have no regrets. Now, I don't know about you, but if before I was a pastor, I was out killing Christians. You know, like the Presbyterians down the road, I'm taking out. You know, I mean, I would have a little bit of regret. You know what I mean? Well, how does he have no regret? How does he have no regret? Because he allowed his regret to push him closer to the Father. Closer to Jesus. So that his life, if it wasn't for the regrets of him doing that, his life would have never got on the path to be the Apostle Paul and write most of the New Testament and be the person that we look at. 
That's not just for people back then. God is calling you to a path now. And so when it comes to the end of life, it's a lot about forgiveness. A lot of people say, how do I make peace with God? How do I make peace with God? Because we're at war over the steering wheel of our life. Until you surrender and take your hands off the wheel and get it to God, he can't take over. So we make peace with God by letting go and letting God. And with repentance, you turn away from the wheel and change directions and let him lead you. Are you fighting for control of your life? This last verse today in Ephesians chapter 1. Paul could say this because he was forgiven. He says this, he says, because of the sacrifice of the Messiah, that's Jesus, his blood poured out on the altar of the cross, we are a free people. Free of the penalties and punishments chalked up by our misdeeds. And we're not barely free either. We're abundantly free. You know, when you're set free from something and set free by somebody, you should shout it. That's why there's an exclamation point there. He's not saying, you know, from our misdeeds and barely not barely free either, we are abundantly free. He's like, abundantly free. And so many of us are living a life still in bondage when Christ has freed us. And so if this was the day where you had 30 days to live, what would you do differently? Would you love completely? Would you live more passionately? Would you learn humbly by not running from your pain but facing it? And would you want to leave a legacy and leave boldly? That's what we're going to unpack for the next couple weeks. And so we're all in the same boat. So what are you going to ask yourself the question tomorrow? If you had 30 days to live, start with 29 tomorrow, all right? If you had, or you had one month to live, what would you do? All right? Okay, so the worship team, come on up. And we're going to, we're going to worship God together in song one more time today. And... Um, and just allow him to lead us again. At this time, we'll also be taking our offering. If you're visiting with us today, we definitely want you to just receive. We don't expect you to give at all. Um, but we ask for God's blessing to be upon all those who, um, who are going to give today. Those are our church. And um, if you just want to pray with somebody, please go ahead and stand. If you want to pray with somebody, there's people available in the front and in the back of the church. Um, on the sides, they, they'll meet you there. Um, but more importantly, just focus on on your life. And I hope that you'll, you'll connect with this for the next couple weeks, that you'll, you'll take the challenge and you'll really go ahead and say, um, all right, God, I really want to put together and really want to ask myself the question, if this was the last month of my life, what would I do differently and how can I come closer to God? All right, so if you'll bow with me for a prayer. Um, for many of us, you may be saying right now to yourself, uh, Jack, I don't even know if I've ever taken my hands off the wheel. I'm afraid to take my hands off the wheel because when I have, I've been burned by so many others. This time, don't give the wheel of your life to somebody else. Give it to Jesus. So Jesus, we just may need to say, Jesus, I need you. I, I give up and I'm, I need to repent. I need to change the direction of my life. And I'm going to surrender and give you the wheel. I want to commit my life into your care and control. I want to live, I want to live passionately. I want to love boldly. I want to learn humbly. And I want to leave a legacy that's bold.
I thank, I thank you, God, that through faith in Jesus Christ that I'm going to get to go to heaven one day. And I thank you for your forgiveness and I thank you for your salvation. But while I'm here, Lord, I, until that day that you do call me, I, I want to grow in my faith. I want that fullness of life, that spirit-filled life that we talked about last week. So Lord, I pray for everyone that during this next 30 days, that you would really, Lord, as we ask that question every day, to tune us into you, to begin to follow you with our whole hearts, to let the pain and the problems that we experience not, dr not drive us away from you, but drive us and push us to you. I know, God, that you're going to work miracles in our lives and in relationships in our hearts over these next 30 days or this next month. And Father, we also expect in the midst of this, as, as we are pushing closer to you, that Satan is not going to like it and is going to hassle us because he doesn't like us to live this life that way. He wants us to just go through the motions and waste our lives, and we expect that, Lord. But the ultimate thing is he can't win because you've already won the victory on the cross. So today, Father, we just know that you're going to grow us stronger in our faith in a huge way, and I pray that you would help us to not wait to live, but make commitments that we need to make today as our someday, to do the things that we need today and need to do them today, and to say the things that we need to do today and say the things that we need to today, to bring healing and restoration so that we can live this life abundantly. And God, for whatever anybody else is dealing with in this place, for physical healing, for emotional healing, for celebrations, for sorrow, whatever it may be, God, we just pray that your spirit just moves in our life right now. And we give you praise in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.
If you're going to clap, be passionate about it, right? All right, so there you go, Becky. That was good. All right, she gets a gold star. Everybody have an awesome week. And remember, what question are you going to ask tomorrow? If you have one month to live, how would you live it differently? We're going to talk about um, living passionately next week. Everybody have a safe day. Have a great Father's Day and all that other good stuff. God bless.